And so uh, the title of the message this morning is uh, The Perfect Sacrifice. The Perfect Sacrifice. Now, you know, if God does something, he, he doesn't do it uh, halfway or partway or almost. Uh, he does it perfectly. And when he provided uh, Jesus uh, to save our souls and to give us eternal life, uh, he did it in a, in a perfect way. Um, um, perfect, um, even, even the way we use the word perfect, we, we don't always use the word perfect in exactly the same way when we use it today in, in speaking English. And of course, uh, if it's where it's used in the scripture uh, in the New Testament, it would have been translated from, from the Greek. But um, we use it in, in these various ways. Uh, something uh, is complete. Uh, something uh, is uh, accomplished, uh, something is finished, uh, something is uh, uh, fulfilled, uh, something that's just right, uh, and you could probably think of a few more words or phrases to describe the word perfect. Um, now, the, the message this morning will, will come from... Uh, from the book of Hebrews, but I would like to look at uh, another passage, first of all, uh, as uh, just a little introduction. So um, if you'd turn with me to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. And uh, verses 14 to 20, verses 14 to 20, Colossians 1, 14 to 20. And as you see, verse 14 starts with the words, in whom? Well, uh, we won't take time, but of course, as you look back, uh, you realize it's talking about Jesus Christ. So we're talking about Jesus. We're thinking about Jesus. He's writing about Jesus. And he began verse 14 by saying, in whom we have redemption through his blood. Even the forgiveness of sins. Who is the image of the invisible God? The firstborn of every creature. For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible. Whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things, and by him all things consist. I understand uh, the end of verse 17 there, all things consist... Uh, from the, from the Greek, uh, it would pick up the meaning of all things are held together. <laughs> this is not a science story this morning, but I could talk about that a little bit, but I'll try to refrain from it. But uh, all things are held together. Things don't fly apart. You know. <laughs> um, all things consist. Verse 18, and he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell. 
And, and may I just stop there before, before I read the last verse? What that is saying in verse 19, just a little short verse there, uh, but it's, it's, it, it's so full. <laughs> he used the word full, of course. Um, it means Jesus wasn't kind of God. Jesus wasn't kind of like God. Jesus Christ uh, wasn't just a, a, you know, a part of God. Jesus Christ was, was God in the flesh, period. I mean, he, he, he was fully God, and he put on fully man. It's called the incarnation when, that we'll be celebrating here, you know, at Christmas time, when he, he put on the body and came from heaven to earth. Uh, we, we believe the scripture teaches that he was fully God and then he was fully man at the same time. <clears throat> Verse 20, and having made peace through the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things unto himself. By him, I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven. Now, I'll just tell you, this, this morning, we're going um, to make a, a long list of things. And I, I didn't even, I mean, I, I, I realized, but I didn't think about the list so much uh, in this passage until I just start reading. So I'll probably give two or three homework assignments this morning. Uh, um, but just in those verses that I just read, Colossians 1, 14 to 20, you could take those verses and, and start writing down everything that it says about Jesus, either what he is or, or what he does. I think that would pretty much cover it, uh, everything in there, uh, what he is or, or what he does. And just phrase after phrase in those verses I just read is something that he is or, or he does. And, and I'll just tell you, now, that's what we're going to be looking at in Hebrews. Uh, a long list of things that Jesus, uh, Christ Jesus, Jesus Christ either is or does. And that's just a little introduction to it right there here in, in, in Colossians chapter 1. Now, um, various places in the scripture, you know, and some songs say, use these words or phrases, or you've read, read this in various places in the scripture. The fact that, that Christ is, is the first and the last, he, he's the beginning and the end, uh, he's the alpha and omega, uh, he, he's the author and the finisher. But when it comes to, uh, to, to sacrifice and offering and that kind of thing, think about it this way or, or, or listen to this. Not only um, is he, was he the offering, but he was the offerer. He was both the offerer and the offering. Now, you see, the Old Testament priests, they were the offerer. They offered things, they offered things, they offered things. That was their job. But they weren't the offering. No, the, the calf or the lamb or, or the wheat or the, the, depending on what kind of offering, they, the thing that they were offering was the offering. But when Christ did it, he was the offering and also the offerer. He offered him his own self. So you could also say he was the, 
the sacrificer and the sacrifice. He was the high priest, and at the same time, he was the lamb. So there's three things I just mentioned there. They're really all the same. Just you know, there's a, there's an offering, there's a sacrifice, there's a lamb, you know, and and yet Christ was all that, and yet he was the one that was giving it, and also. So, let us turn now to the book of Hebrews. Um, Let me, we will start in chapter 1, but maybe we should just look at one verse in chapter chapter 9 to begin with. Um, I use the word perfect in the title here. I I said we'll call this the the perfect sacrifice, and we'll read that that word uh, later. I don't think I'll, I'll read it right now, but but that, let's do look at one verse in in chapter nine of Hebrews, and that is verse uh, fourteen. Uh, Hebrews nine verse fourteen. How much more shall the blood of Christ? who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Of course, as you see, verse 13, he was saying, if the blood of, of goats and bulls and so forth, you know, did their job, if, if, the blood, if their blood did their job in the Old, Old Testament time, how much more shall the blood of Christ uh, Um, purge your conscience from the dead works to serve the, uh, the, the living God. And I'll, I'll probably refer to that verse uh, again later. Uh, but um, he, it says in the middle of the verse, offered himself without spot to God. Um, faultless. Um, it would be, I haven't looked at that, you know, how, what that word is in, in, in the Greek, but it's just a simple English word, S-P-O-T, spot. Um, you know, something has a spot on it. Um, something has something dirty on it. Something has something wrong with it. Uh, we, we say it, it's spotted. Uh, uh, it's tarnished. There's something not, not perfect with it. And here it simply uses the phrase without spot, um, he was perfect. It was completely perfect. Uh, of course, you know when they chose the lambs for 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 this uh, for the Passover, they were to take that lamb and, and put it up for a few days. I forget exactly the details, but to to make sure it was a perfect lamb. Of course, that was a type. You know that that was saying you know you. It was a perfect lamb, like it was going to one day point to the perfect Jesus, the perfect Savior, Jesus Christ. So let's turn back to chapter 1. What I'm, what I'm doing here, and uh, um, 
I'll just give you the next homework assignment right away. If you're looking for something for, uh, uh, for whatever, however you want to use it, it'd be a good thing to use in, in devotions for a period of time. Um, that is uh, what I've already said about that list of things in Colossians 1. And that is go through the whole book of Hebrews. It's 13 chapters. Don't try to do it at one time, you know. You might not even want to do a chapter a day. You want, might want to do a half a chapter a day or something and take a, a, a pen and paper and just write down what I've already said. Everything, every word or phrase that, that would be complete, you know, a word that says something complete or a phrase that, that says something complete, every word, every word or phrase that says either what Jesus is or what he does. I think that pretty well covers it, unless you can think of, an, as you go through something else that, that wouldn't quite cover that, that would uh, help your list be longer yet. But uh, at least uh, what, what Jesus Christ is or what he does. And just go through the book of Hebrews and see, you'll have a, a quite a list, a big, big list when, when you finish that. <clears throat> So uh, in these first uh, various places we look here, uh, I won't read the verses uh, verse, uh, word, word for word. Uh, at a few places, I'll stop and read a, a section of verses, but, but not, uh, not generally, at least here at the beginning. We'll just go through and, and pick out some things. Uh, <clears throat> but to do that, of course, I'll have to read some words and phrases and so forth. Um, but we're looking at... Um, <clears throat> Jesus Christ and what he is and what he does. In chapter 1, um, verse 2, it says, Hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son. So, first of all, the beginning of the list, he is the Son. He is the Son. Use the uh, capital S-O-N. He is the Son of God. Uh, he, he is, he is uh, God the Son. He's the second person of the Trinity. Um, <clears throat> who he hath appointed heir of all things. So secondly, he is heir of all things. He's not like second rate or something. He's a, he's a com heir of completely everything. Uh, who he hath appointed uh, heir of all things. I already said that. By whom he made the worlds. So... The last part of verse 2, he's a creator. Did we read that in Colossians 1? Well, we certainly did. He's a creator. Um, oh, let me stop and say something else. Yeah. This, um, I, I mentioned this to somebody, just, I'll, I'll just say a couple months ago. I'm not sure when it was exactly, and I don't even know who, who, who I said it to or what, why we were talking about this. But um, the fact is that no one knows who wrote the book of Hebrews? Uh, we, we, we don't know. Um, uh, some people think it was the Apostle Paul, but we don't know that. Uh, some people have good reason to believe that it, it wasn't the Apostle Paul. Um, so since we don't know, it's no use to try to suggest it was Apostle Paul. Uh, we, no one knows who wrote the book of Hebrews. And uh, it's interesting, you know, that... Uh, in, in the time which it was written, along with many of the other books of what we call the New Testament, why, why don't we know 
who wrote the book of, uh, uh, of Hebrews. And it just came to me like a couple of months ago when I was talking to someone about this. Um, I'm sure it was by God's design. If God wanted us to know who wrote it, of course, he would have made that possible, just like we know who wrote the other books. But somehow he, he kept this from us. And I'm wondering if maybe this is the reason. Um, it's so full. There, there's so much in the, in the book of Hebrews. It's just so full and running over of, of, of describing Jesus Christ and, and the great sacrifice for our sins that maybe if we knew the writer, we would tend to like deify him or something. Try, try to lift him up like he's, a, he's closer to God than anyone else because he, he was able to write these things and put all these thoughts into words. And so maybe for that reason, God chose that it would be best if we don't know who wrote this down and just to keep it a mystery. That's just something I thought about. I think, yeah. Anyway, let's move on. Look at <clears throat> verse 3. The fact is, there's a, I think I listed about five things here in verse 3. As you see, verse 3 is a little bigger than some of the verses uh, here. But uh, So, verse 3, who being the brightness of his glory. So, Jesus is, is the brightness of the glory of God. Um, the express image of his person. Uh, we read that already in Colossians 1, something very similar to that. Um, you want to know what, what God is like, God the Father? Well, just look at Jesus, then you'll know. <laughs> He's the express image of his person. And upholding all things. We already read something kind of like that in Colossians 1, right? He upholds all things. He keeps all things going. He keeps all things together. All things consist the way they are because Christ the creator is making sure that that happens. Um, By the word of his power, uh, you could say something about that, I guess, uh, the fact of his power. When he had by himself purged our sins, yes, that's what he did. He purged our sins. He does. He purges our sins. Sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. He is sitting by God the Father, as it were. And that verse suggests that his work is done. Okay, he did his work, and then he sat down by the Father. Like, it's done, it's finished. By the way, he said that on the cross. You know, it is finished. See, that's five things right there in verse 3. That that he either, Jesus either is or does. Now, um, I, I know you think if we go through it, the book of Hebrews like I'm going through it now, we'll be here till 3 o'clock this afternoon. And so I'll have to just, you know, uh, just mention a few things and, and, uh, and we move on uh, and leave the rest for your homework like I already suggested. But, but that's given us an idea of what's in this book. You know, five things that you can easily pick out or maybe six. I, I didn't even write down the thing about his power. Uh, so five or six things just in verse 3. 
Look at verse 4. Being made so much better than the angels. So no, he's, he's not an angel. He's not like a good angel or something. He's not like a, a high prophet or a great prophet. No, no, no. He, he's God. Being made so much better than the angels. Um, look at verse 5. For unto which of the angels said he at any time? So, so now the writer is going on to explain what he just said. For unto which of the angels said he at any time, Sit thou, thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. No, no, he didn't say that to any angel because it's not true. He could only say that to Jesus Christ, his own son, the second person of the Trinity. And I will be a father, uh, him a father, and he shall be my son. No, he didn't say that to angels. He has a special relationship with the father. Look at verse 6. And again, when he, uh, when he bringing in the uh, first begotten into the world, he saith, and let all the angels of God worship him. So he is worshipped by angels. In verse 8, he has an eternal throne. But unto the Son, he saith, thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. He has an eternal throne. Also in verse 8, he has a righteous rule. Um, a scepter of righteousness is the scepter of thy kingdom, a righteous rule. In verse 9, he was anointed by God. Hath anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy fellows, anointed by God. Verse 10, he created uh, earth and heavens. We've talked about that a couple times already this morning. And thou, Lord, in the beginning hast laid the foundations of the earth. And the heavens are the works of thy hands. See, he's writing this. Yes, that comes from the Psalms. He's writing this in relation to Jesus Christ. Here in Hebrews, you see. In verse 11, the fact is he does not change. They shall perish, but thou remainest. That's a simple way to put it. Is Everybody can understand that. They shall perish. In fact, everything will perish. But Christ, God, remainest. Uh, they shall wax old as doth a garment, you see, but, but not Christ. He does not change. He does not get old. He does not go downhill. He does not deteriorate, you know. <clears throat> Verse 12, he is eternal. And as a vesture shalt thou Hold them up, and they shall be changed. But thou art the same. Did I say he does not change? He's the same. He just remains perfect, in a perfect condition. And thy years shall not fail. And in verse 13, enemies are made his footstool. But to which of the angels saith he at any time, Sit thou on my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool? No, he didn't say that to angels. He said that to Christ Jesus, the Son. Um, let's look at um, some verses in chapter 2, beginning at verse 9. Chapter 2 and beginning at verse 9. But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for a, for a time, 
for a special purpose. I already said that, the incarnation. When he, when he took on the body of a human being and came to earth, okay, that happened for a special purpose, and it tells us the purpose in verse 9 of chapter 2. But we see Jesus who was brought down or made a, a little lower than the angels. Why? For the suffering of death. That's why. And at the same time, he was crowned with glory and honor. And all that is an expression of the love or the grace of God in the end of verse 9. That by the grace of God should taste death for every man. He tasted death for every man. And and that wasn't uh, the punishment of God. That was the grace of God. On our behalf, God extending his grace to you and I by that plan of his own son dying and that we may be saved. That was the grace of God. Um, Verse 10, he's the author of our salvation. To make the cap- the end of the verse, to make the captain of their salvation perfect through uh, sufferings. Um, the captain of our salvation, or the author, really translated the author of our salvation. The one who, well, you know what an author is. He's the, he's the man that, uh, that makes it, makes it happen, writes it down states it, thinks it, and states it, comes up with the idea. He's the author of our salvation, the captain of our salvation. And um, he was, part of him being perfect was that he was uh, willing to suffer uh, for our sins, for us, to be the sacrifice. Perfect through suffering. That's what it says at the end of the verse. Uh, Perfect or complete, really, there's complete through sufferings. In verses 11 and 12, we see that he, he was one with, with his brethren, one with us. We are like brethren to him. Verse 14, um, he became flesh and blood so he could die. And we already saw that in another verse stated a, a different way. Verse 14, for as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same. He took on flesh and blood that through death, see, he took on flesh and blood, then he could die. And we could understand death. And, and he, he, of course, understood death, but he took on flesh and blood so that we, we could know that he knew what it is to suffer and die. That through death he might destroy them that hath the power of death, that is the devil. So not only the fact that he took on flesh and blood to die, but he was victor over the devil. In verse 15, he's our deliverer from death and bondage. And deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. He's our deliverer from that. Verse 16, he was made like us. 
We've said that in different ways already. For verily he took not on him the nature of angels. We talked about that already. He's, he's not an angel. He's different, way different than an angel. He took not on him the nature of angels, but he took on him the seed of Abraham. He was made like, the, like us, the incarnation, that he may be one with us and understand us and we understand him and so forth. In verse 17, he is merciful and faithful. Wherefore, in all things, it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren, and he, that, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. You see, because we would have a tendency to think, um, well, yeah, then Old Old Testament priests, they were just regular men, you know, and so they could understand us. Well, Jesus does too. He was made like unto his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest. You can't say that he can't be merciful or he don't understand me because he does. The fact is, being God, he understands us better than anyone else. Of course, it mentions the fact that he is the high priest, like a high priest. He is a high priest for us in verse 17. And uh, furthermore, the end of verse 17, he reconciles us to God. Look at verse 18 yet. For in that he himself hath suffered being tempted or tested. He suffered, he was tested or tempted, and therefore, what? The end of the verse, he is able to succor or help them that are tempted. Since he understands us completely, then he can help us in our tests and trials. Let me, uh, let's look at chapter 8, and I'll I'll read the first uh, six verses of of chapter 8. Chapter 8, the first uh, six verses. Now the things which we have spoken, this is the sum. We have such an high priest who is set on the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens, a minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle, which the Lord pitched and not man. For every high priest is ordained to offer gifts and sacrifices. Wherefore, it is of necessity that this man have somewhat also to offer, For if he were on earth, he should not be a priest, seeing that there are priests that offer gifts according to the law, who serve unto the example and shadow of heavenly things, as Moses was admonished of God when he was about to make the tabernacle. For see, saith he, 
that thou make all things according to the pattern showed to thee in the mount. But now hath he obtained a more excellent ministry by how much also he is the mediator of a better covenant which was established upon better promises. So let's just pick out a few things in these verses. In verse 1, Jesus is high priest beside the majesty in the heavens. In verse 2, he is minister of the true tabernacle. What does it mean by that? Well, of course, the writer here knew that they understood about the Old Testament tabernacle. That thing that they, uh, they made with hands, yes. Um, it's an interesting verse, but, but he's, he, he's suggesting there, there is a tabernacle, there is a dwelling place of God that's far beyond that physical thing that they made with their hands back in the Old Testament time. And he calls it the, the, the real tabernacle. See, the, the, the Old Testament tabernacle was just a, just a for something, a, a teaching tool to help them understand God and his ways and his purposes and worship and so forth. That was uh, just uh, an example. Um, and he used the word in, in verse 2 here, the true tabernacle. There's another tabernacle. It's the true one. So, a minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle, which the Lord pitched and not men. Uh, I take for granted, pitch there means like pitch a tent. You know, you set up a tent, you pitch a tent. They, they, they pitched the tabernacle in the wilderness, you know. They, they, they carried it with them and they sat it up from time to time. Well, and he uses that same word, which the, the true tabernacle, which the Lord pitched and not men. Verse 6. He has a more excellent ministry than the earthly priests, but now hath he obtained a more excellent ministry, more excellent than the, than the Old Testament priests, you see. He's a mediator of a better covenant or the new covenant. But how much also he is the mediator of, the, of a better covenant is the actual word it's used there. Or the new covenant which was established, established upon better promises. Um, Let me read uh, one more little passage here, and then, then we'll go to uh, and look at, at something in a, in a little different way, um, make a, a comparison, or actually a contrast, you'd say, I guess, contrasting Jesus and, and, and his priestly ministry, contrasting that to the Old Testament priestly ministry. But first of all, before we do that, let's look at... Uh, in chapter 9, um, 
verses 11 to 15. Chapter 9, verses 11 to 15. But Christ. Wow, I, you know I have to say something about that. I, I, I talked about the word but from time to time. And if you ever want to underline one, that would be a good one to underline right there. And don't just underline but, but, but Christ. But Christ. Of course, throughout the book of Hebrews, we're comparing the old with the new. Contrasting the old with the new. And so this is simply one of the places. And he begins verse 11, but Christ. So, you know, the old covenant in the verses before that, but Christ. And now he's going to tell us about how it is with, with Jesus Christ. So beginning at verse 11, chapter 9. <clears throat> but Christ, being come and high priest of good things to come, by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us, for if the blood of bulls and of goats and the ashes of an heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctify to the uh, purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? And this, and, and for this cause, he is the mediator of the New Testament, that by means of death, for the redemption of the transgressions that were under the First Testament, they which are called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance. So let's just pick out a few things in, in those verses. First of all, verse 12. By his own blood. By his own blood. Uh, not the blood of bulls and calves anymore, but this time by the, own, the blood of God himself. The blood of Jesus who put on flesh so that he could die and shed his blood. By his own blood. And uh, furthermore in verse 12... He entered in once into the holy place. I'm sure you've been told this many times before, but, but once. And the word once is used in Hebrews various times. And you know from your Old Testament knowledge that, that they, did this, they did this offering thing time and time and time and time again. Jesus did it once. And so if you like to underline things, you might underline once right there, but maybe you already underlined it a few more times before you even got to this passage, but they're just saying it again. Um, by his own blood, he entered once, not many times, but just once, <clears throat> furthermore in verse 12, he entered into that holy place, and he obtained eternal redemption for us, the end of verse 12. Uh, verse 14, 
how much more the blood of Christ. Comparing it now, comparing it with the, the blood of the, the sheep and the goats that he just mentioned before that. How much more the blood of Christ. Okay? Several things here in verse 14. Then offered himself. Did I say that at the beginning? He was the offering and he was the offerer. He offered himself. He, as the great high priest, offered not some four-legged lamb or goat. He offered himself. Without spot. The perfect sacrifice. I mean perfect, 100% perfect. Without spot, completely perfect. And then the last part of verse 14 is so important. In that Old Testament time, it just shows you that the fact that they have to offer and offer and offer and offer and offer time and time again, that it did not take care of a problem inside a man. It covered their sins for a period of time. But man sinned again, his heart wasn't changed, and they had to do an offering again to cover the sins again. And I could keep saying that over and over because it went through the hundreds of years of the Old Testament time. But look at the end of verse 14. Purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. What Jesus does does a work in your heart, in your conscience, that you know takes care of your sins, past, present, and future. It did a different work than those sacrifices of the Old Testament. It did a complete work. It did a right work. It did a perfect work. And then verse 15, the last verse we read here. He is the mediator. He's the administrator, you might say, of the New Testament, the administrator of the New Covenant. Um. By means of death, in other words, he sacrificed him, himself. We've said that a number of times already. Um, for the redemption of sin, for the redemption of the transgressions that were under the First Testament. He did it for the redemption of sin. And the verse ends by, <clears throat> are called, might, those that are called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance. That, that lamb or that goat that was offered in the Old Testament time did not give any Old Testament saint eternal life. It covered their sins for time. And they had to do it again. And they had to do it again. And they had to do it again. This sacrifice of Jesus is whereby we can have eternal inheritance. Eternal life. Join heirs with Christ for eternity. Now, 
you know, I have a, my list is a lot longer, but I, I won't keep sharing it because we're running out of time. So this is what I'd like to do now. Uh, turn to chapter 9. <clears throat> chapter 9. Um, we're making now contrasts between the, the Old Testament system in Christ, the New Testament, the New Covenant. <clears throat> Chapter 9, beginning at verse 7. Verse 7, but into the second, or, or okay, so he's talking about the tabernacle. There was the outside part where uh, people in general could go in, and then there was uh, and I may be, might not be saying all this exactly 100% right, but, but as you know, there, at least there was this holy of holies where only the high priest went in, I believe, once a year, and nobody else could enter there. Okay, so he's, he's been talking about this, but now coming down to verse 7. But into the second, or into that holy of holies, that second part of the tabernacle, into the second went the high priest alone, once every year. Only the high priest entered. Contrast that to the fact that now you and I can have easy access to Christ. We, we can have access directly to the high priest, right to the Holy of Holies. Uh, through Christ, we may all enter right to God. That's the difference. That's the great contrast. Furthermore, once every year, we can go to God anytime. The high priest can get into that closeness to God once a year by going into that Holy of Holies. We can, we can be right next to God anytime. Furthermore, it had to be done every year and I've said a few times already this morning, it was done through Christ once for all. Not every year, but once for all. Also, it was done with animal blood. It says, end of the second line of most of your Bibles, right? Not without blood. In other words, he went in with blood. That's the only way he could go in, with blood. Here I come, God, with, with this blood. Don't, don't you know, I'm, I'm coming the right way. I, I'm, I'm going by the rules. I have this blood. So he went with blood, with animal blood. We go in with the blood of Christ, with the perfect blood. Um which he offered for himself. So first of all, the priest, the high priest, offered that blood for his own sins. Jesus didn't do that. Jesus shed no blood for his own sins. He was already perfect. His, all of his blood was shed for our, my sins and yours. He did not offer blood for his own sins because he was perfect. <clears throat> And then for the errors of the people, or for the sins of the people. So 
It's just saying it the same way that we said already. That's why they had to do it time after time after time again because man kept sinning. And so this, this offering was for the past sins of the people. The next offering for the past sins of the people. Next offering, you know, so many days or months or years down the road for the sins of the people. Where Christ, his offering was for our sinful nature. He did something to, to, to take care of our heart problem. And not for just every time we sin. That's, that's part of it, of course. But, but he did something to change our heart and not just cover our sins. In verse 9, which was a figure for the time when the present which were offered both gifts and sacrifices that could not make him that did the sacrifice perfect. See, that, that, that Old Testament, it, it did not make people perfect. It covered their sins. It, it, did, it did not cleanse their conscience as pertaining to the conscience in the end of verse 9. In Christ, we have a new nature. A new man. Paul writes a lot about the new man. <clears throat> In verse 10, it was for time. It was for temporary. In Christ, it's forever. It's eternal. In verse 11, the work was done uh, in a man-made tabernacle. In Christ, it's done in our hearts. In verse 12, priests offered gifts and sacrifices. It's interesting. It uses that term uh, more than once in Hebrews. I already read it earlier. Uh, gifts and sacrifices. Uh, this is verse uh, 12. Um, well, maybe the, those words are, are not in this verse, but they were earlier. But um, the priests offered uh, gifts and sacrifices. Christ offered himself. In verse 14, the priest was a human. Christ is God. Um, the priest of, um, was careful to save his own life. Uh, Jesus offered himself as a spotless one. Christ gave his life. Uh, what, what I'm saying there is that the priest was careful to save his own life. You know, if he didn't go into that holy of holies just right, uh, and you've heard this story before. Uh, they, they feared he, he would be struck dead. And so it was our understanding that they would put a rope around the, the one leg uh, of the priest when he would go into the Holy Holies that once a year. They'd put a, in case he did something wrong and was struck dead, they could pull him out without anyone having to go in there to get him. Because if somebody went in there just nonchalantly or the wrong person, they would be struck dead was the thought. So they would put a, a rope around the priest to pull him out if he died while he was in the Holy of Holies. I'm saying the priest was careful to save his own life. 
Christ the high priest actually gave his own life. And then if, we, if you look at verses 13 and 15 together, you see um, what the priests, Old Testament priest did was for temporary blessings. And uh, Christ did it for our eternal inheritance. And in verse 24, we'll stop with verse 24 then. Look at verse 24. Christ is not entered into the holy places made with hands, which are the figures of the true. It's interesting, uh, another thing, to, you know, we talk about types and shadows and figures. The word figure is used in, in Hebrew several times. I just read it a while ago, and here it is again. Which were the figures of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of, of God for us. In the Old Testament time, it was done in an earthly tabernacle, an earthly holy place. Uh, when Christ did it, he does it right in the very presence of God himself for us. Wow. We, we must stop. <clears throat> the perfect sacrifice. Uh, make a list. Make your own list. And, and don't try to do it in a half an hour. <laughs> Take days or weeks or something and make a, a list. Make your own list of all the things in Hebrews that, that, that Jesus Christ does or is. Before we partake of the uh, emblems, I, I will read uh, the words of Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 11. As you know, sometimes we read it right from, um, from the Gospels where, where Jesus uh, uh, gave out the emblems and said, remember, remember me with, with these uh, emblems. And then the, uh, in 1 Corinthians 11, the Apostle Paul um, goes over that, repeats what, what Jesus had said. So I'll just read those verses right now before we partake of the, uh, the emblems. <clears throat> beginning at verse, uh, 1 Corinthians 11, beginning at verse... Um, 23, for I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And as I read this just recently, um, as we were having communion at, at, at Bethesda, you know, I, I, I thought about just the, the, each little act that, that Jesus did. Uh, I mean, he, he did this deliberately, uh, and, and it kind of it mentions some of the deliberate acts here. So uh, he, he took bread. He, he made a, a deal of it. He made a ceremony out of it. He took bread. And when he had given thanks, then he gave thanks. And then after that, he, he took this bread, and then he broke it. And then he said, he said something after he did those three or four actions that they could see, now he, he speaks to them about it. He said, take, eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. Then after the same manner also, he took the cup. When... He had supped, saying, this cup is the 
New Testament or the New Covenant in my blood. In other words, my, my blood makes this New Testament, this New Covenant possible. My blood it, it creates this New Covenant. New Testament in my blood. This do ye as oft as ye drink it in remembrance of me.